0: Hello and welcome to Two Pints of Maggots and a Packet of Hooks, the Fishing Podcast. Already this is episode three and you might have already heard I'm a little bit croaky. So big apologies, Uh, I've caught the lurgy, I thought I'd got away with it, um, but unfortunately I've not. So throughout this podcast I'm afraid a little bit croaky, so some of the sections may be a wee bit shorter than normal but of course we will be having the press pack where we look at the latest news articles online and in the printed press at the tackle shed where we talk through anything that's caught my eye and of course we'll look through the archives for both things what was in the news 10 15 20 30 years ago in the angling publications back then but for the big chat um the big piece which is ever so popular with the listeners. Um It's with the brilliant Adam Richards. Um Adam Richards, uh, the youngest ever Kamazan Matchman of the Year winner um, and multiple um, finalists in big, big finals. So a must listen for the match angler. Really, really enjoyed it. Sadly, I was even more croakier than I am now. So, uh, yeah, I'll let Adam do the talking. But let's get cracking and let's dive into the press pack. Okay, delving into the press pack, and uh, we've got the Angling Times. Uh, the archives have decided to jump back exactly 20 years, well, nearly, Yeah, October 2002, uh, is Match Angling Plus, and a really interesting piece that um, I've picked up in there, so we'll touch on that in a second. I think, first of all, we have to acknowledge um, what's going on in the world, really. Um, what's happening in Eastern Europe now is something that I hoped I'd never see in my lifetime, that's for sure. I thought that what is happening is consigned to the past and it's incredibly sad and makes fishing very insignificant. Certainly in my mind, um, I've struggled to focus for sure. You know, you go online and you look on social media, people are still talking about the next pole they're going to buy and, you know, uh, what bait they used that weekend. And it all just seems irrelevant. Whereas normally i would be you know very excited about just thinking about fishing, but I think this last week has been very very difficult to to concentrate on things, but alas, we control the controllables and um there's not much more as a as a, well certainly there's an individual that I can do but and as a country if we were to to do anything more then that would have catastrophic um consequences, so we just hope things um unravel um in, in a good way so very sad but let's look at the fishing nudes. well first up i think we've got to say a massive well done to the uh, drennan barnsley backs they were the winners of this weekend's winter league final um winter league's a great event really when you look at the different mixture of teams it was a very strong field this year and i like the way nowadays they do it where um, half the team fish on a commercial, half the team fish on a natural water, because I think that represents the numerous winter leagues that are taking place. Um, as an example, up in the northwest where I'm from, it's not like the old days where the winter leagues used to be on the canals and and maybe some of the uh, um, the smaller rivers, um, Weaver things like this, because you know. A lot of the places just don't have the pegs. They're unsafe nowadays, etc. So a lot of those leagues have moved to commercials. So to represent that in the Winter League alongside those traditional venues absolutely makes sense. Very close final, only a couple of points in it. Um, but I think it just goes to show the consistency now of the Barnsley Blacks. Um, it's fantastic. So big well done to them. That's uh, a brilliant achievement again. A couple of things since we last did the podcast. I think uh, from my perspective, Fantastic news is that uh, the Fishermania final is moving to, to Lincolnshire, the county where I'm based, uh, to Westwood Lakes in July. And I I fished a match um, the weekend before the announcement and I heard on the bank that this had been given to, to the venue. I didn't quite believe it at first because... Numerous questions came around, parking, location, facilities. It's a holiday complex. What's going to happen to all the holidaymakers, et etc. et cetera. But actually, take a step back. It's a few months away. It's been worked on for quite some time, and I'm sure those answers um, are in place. So I think it'll be an interesting final uh, for those that haven't visited Westwood. Um, it's only about 15 minutes from me. I don't fish it that often, um, but it's a cracking venue, brilliant facilities. It's very windy which might mean the fish will, well, they'll be used to following the wind. They'll be used to sat out of the wind if it's northerly, et cetera, et cetera. So it'll be really interesting as to how the the match progresses. Um, I think there'll be lots and lots of fish caught. Whereas on Hayfield the last few years, it's been big carp. Um, It's going to be more probably F1 fishing, probably lots of barbel, a lot of shallow fishing. Could be some... Good feeder fishing to be done as well. If you get them lined up on the feed. It can be a quick method. So really excited, uh, for the, for the final fishing mania. I'll certainly be trying to get to that myself. Um, <laughs> highly likely I won't qualify. That is for sure, but I'll have a go on one qualifier, but certainly be there as a spectator. So that was fantastic news, uh, from our side of things, uh, in this area. Second up, it's showtime. That's the best way of putting it. In. Um, starting this weekend. Uh, 5th and 6th of March it's the big one at Farnborough and it's the first time um, that there has been a big one um, show for a couple of years due to Covid um, the Northern angling show was last weekend of Manchester um, and I think it's the first weekend in April at Stoneleigh there will be the second big one show mm-hmm. as well and I'm hoping to be there myself all being well depending on work uh, with the guys from uh, Teddy Fisher so I might see you there uh, but I think what's great is that it's an opportunity for obviously tackle companies, uh, bait companies, etc., to get in front of the public because it's not happened for a couple of years. And that interaction is really, really important. It's all good and well, what we see on social media and adverts, and but to actually chat to the consultants, chat to the people that use the tackle and bait um and for for the guys on the other side of it as well the people that are working for the companies to chat to the public and get that feedback also so it's a real great step and it's something that's certainly been missing I'm sure the last couple of years so you're going to the big one in Farnborough this weekend have a great time uh Stoneley, first weekend in April I hope to be there might see you as well So Fishermania finals moved, Um, the angling shows are back up and running, fantastic, what else have we got? Well let's have a look at angling times this week and some of the catches, I mean (laughs) talk about pike, wow I mean I know we're coming up to spawning time if you like There's some right old uh, sharks being caught, I think there was a £40 by old uh, Nev Ficklin, he's a former record holder, pike record holder he's had a 40 pound fish and i also spotted a 37 pound fish as well and that's just in this week's angling time so these big pike are certainly striking i managed a few hours out on my local river at weekend and i was the only angler there um fishing for silverfish i know it's lots of perch roach i believe there's chub i just sat there fishing a stick float a little bit of maggot a bit of ground bait a bit of punch bread lovely days fishing but the other four people on the stretch where I was located were all pike anglers. Now, one of them did manage a 14-pound uh, sample and a couple of small jacks as well. But I, I thought that was fascinating as well, is that with were, were were the lads just out, really friendly guys, and it's not my scene, but I can appreciate why they do what they do. Yeah, what is it? Is it just getting, getting the last knockings in before the river season finishes? Or is is, is the predator side of angling growing Uh, quickly as well we've spoke to mark before from fishing evolution and he's explained previously that his um, predator range within the store has grown rapidly as well so i think there's a real interest in predator fishing and the fact that maybe you can be on the move um I guess the, the the fun of just hooking, hooking one of those big crocodiles, you know, it's it's interesting. So anyway, yeah, uh, so a couple of big pike in the news this week. Uh, but the fish that caught my eye in the magazine this week uh, was a roach. And as I say, that's what I was fishing for that weekend. It's got to be one of most people's favorite fish. Uh, but this one was three pound 15 ounce a guy called Paul Scowan. I'm very honest of him, <laughs> 315. I think a lot of us would say £4. But it was his only bite on an unnamed gravel pit, a fishing red maggot on a ground bait feeder. And it's just, well, it's a fish of dreams, isn't it? £3, 15 ounce roach. So, yeah, they they were the things that caught my eye in the news uh, this week. There's a couple of good articles in there also. Steve Ringer talks about um, the benefits of fish meal um, in winter. A lot of anglers would perhaps think that. Um, fish meal would be too overpowering when feeding ground bait throughout the winter. He tries to dispel that myth or at least give you an idea of, of what type of fish meal to go for. So that's a good article. And there's also another good one in there uh, by Matt Pollard talking about rotating swims when fishing the pole on a river. And you know, guys, if you are a river angler and you've got one near you, and we've only got a week or so left, so... Uh, they're all finding down now after some of the terrible floods. So get yourselves on to the river before season ends. Now, let's go through then the archive. As I say, it was October 2002, and I picked up this, uh, it's Matt Jangling Plus, Dave Harrell on the front there, um, and as I think I said on the last episode, um, the new section within this magazine was called Banknotes. What it's got is a review of the Fishermania final in 2002. It's one that Nathan uh, Watson won with £87 of 5 ounce. He was 22 at the time, and he fished a 16-metre floating pole, catching carp up to £5 and a solitary barbel. So why this made the banknotes is not only is it like a review of the match, but also in an interview with Nathan as well, but also... It's got a question. It says, let us know your views. A farce or the future? And I'll read this to you because this is fascinating. With a top prize of £25,000, the televised Fishermania final is one of the highlights of the year. Big crowds and huge viewing figures have meant that this event has grown to become the showcase event for match angling in Britain. So should we expect it to be a demonstration of pure and traditional angling skills or should anything go? This year, nearly every angle in the final used the floating pole, a method where a pole is laid on the water and the fish are allowed to hook themselves against it. There was no doubt it was the method that was most effective for catching carp at hayfield lakes, but is it something that match angling should be encouraging? So when I think about today's matches, I cannot think of a single example or many venues that even allow a floating pole anymore. I don't think I've I've seen anybody fish a floating pole for at least 15 years. So that was stamped out pretty early, probably out the back of this final. But we then think about and um, to use the correct term the self-hooking rig which is allowed on many venues and If I was back in Manchester, I used to fish a venue up there called Blundles. Absolutely loved the venue. It's an anything-goes set-up, so very, very few rules. Um, The matches are usually rovers as well, which makes for for quite interesting um, competition. But that is dominated um, in mild conditions and certainly through summer by this self hooking rig. And I don't like that. It's not something that I... I would use really. So that means I wouldn't compete with the locals which means ultimately I wouldn't fish the venue. Now that takes place in a lot of different venues. And I know anglers that fish conventional methods can beat these uh, self-hooking rigs but in the in the main it's pretty unbeatable. And that's born out of these types of tactics. I remember years and years ago a place called Bradshaw Fisheries up in Bolton um when they first stocked carp they used something called the rattler which was basically small pike bungs between a number of shot, and uh, you'd flick that in on a top kit or on a, a strong whip, and feeding sloppy ground bit over the top, and the carp would come in and hook themselves against the buoyancy of the of the um, the pike bung, and you'd hear it rattle, hence the name. And people like Vinny Smith and Mark Addy, people like that, were putting together you know fifty, sixty, seventy pound of these small freshly stocked carp, you know two or three to the pound. And again, is that a was that a fair way of doing things? I don't, I don't know. I don't really have an opinion on it, to be honest. But it's, it, it, it is what it is. These things have evolved over the years. But what, the reason why I, I pointed this out um, was that three time world champion at the time, Alan Scott Horn, comments, and he says, "I thought that this year's event was a pretty poor reflection on our sport." Methods like the floating pole require little skill to fish because the fish hook themselves effectively. It's a bolt rig. I think that in a spectator and TV event like Fishermania, we need to promote and show off our sport. And this year I felt it didn't do this because the actual methods being used were boring to watch. He then goes on about various other other points of view. Sky Sports at the time said, from our point of view, this year's competition was an excellent event. The weather was great. There were loads of people in the bank and the fishing match itself saw lots of fish caught and it was tight until the end. As for the rules and techniques used in the competition, it's difficult for me to comment. We look at things from a different point of view, so leave that entirely to the fishery to set out the anglers to decide. So I just thought that was something 20 years ago um, that has evolved since. There are still similar tactics that were used in that final. And would it be something that, I mean, this year, Westwood, you you can't use those self-hooking rigs. um, So that won't happen. But yeah, anyway, fascinating stuff. Now, also in these banknotes was, and I found this quite interesting. Now, I'd I'd like to say I'm a bit of a student of international fishing. I I always follow how England have done over the years. And, you know, I get super excited when we've had ex-world champions on this, uh, doing the big chat, etc., and it still, you know, it still excites me now. So, in this episode, sorry, in this um, magazine, uh, there's a review of the World Youth Championships, the um, so River Arno in Italy. There's it 18 teams that took place, and long story short, the Italian team absolutely smashed it. But what I found was interesting. I thought, oh, who was in the England team? And I looked at the names, and I imagined that. These guys would be a little bit younger than me, perhaps. Uh, well, they would be, because they would be late teens at the time. Uh, England's top performer was Peter Thomas from Doddinghurst, Essex. Don't know him. Does not ring a bell. Uh, Louis Moroski, Name does ring a bell. Perhaps still fishes, and I've seen his name on some um, results. James Mead, struggling. Craig Reed, Andrew pickergill that name rings a bell. So the reason why I picked that out was I was just wondering, do these lads still fish? Is it normally, I'm sure they do locally, and, and it's maybe something I've not seen on social media, or maybe they don't fish the big finals, etc. But But isn't it interesting how people get to what I believe the pinnacle of their career, which is representing the country, albeit at youth stage, and then perhaps have some of these lads give up? Have they had kids? And what's their circumstances? You know, it's just a real interesting take when I lot to that. I expected to see people's names that, you know, are still fishing at really high level and, and, and competing in the big the big matches circuit and maybe pushing for England spots in the senior squad, etc., etc. But no, there's only one or two of those names that, that rang a bell to me. So, yeah, that was um, 20 years ago nearly October 2002 (laughs) floating poles all sorts of stuff yeah brilliant okay so um before my voice gets any worse that's enough of the press pack now let's dive into the big chat with Adam Richards
1: for all your fishing needs be sure to check out fishing evolution boasting two floors of branded displays visit our recently expanded superstore at Hadley Road in where we offer a huge range of tackle from all of the leading course and cart brands, such as Nash, Fox, Korda, Drennan, Preston, Guru, Daiwa, and many, many more. You can also follow us on Facebook and Instagram, where we share
0: all of the latest news and updates about products available in-store.
1: Hi, and welcome to The Big Chat. And on this episode, we have a very special guest. It's frenzy-backed, all-round elite match angler. It's Mr. Adam Richards. How are you, sir?
2: Yeah, I'm good, thank you. A few disasters trying to get on, haven't I? (laughs) But uh, I'm not the most technical person in the world. We've got there in the end.
1: Yeah, you're not the only one, Adam. You're not the only one that's fallen foul to the uh, the podcast virtual studio, so don't worry. Um, But before we make a start, a little bit of a, not an apology, but just to explain... I'm rather croaky as we are recording this. I'm full of a cold and I'm not on top, top form, but needs must as you're off off on holiday soon. And um, we've been waiting to do this for ages, haven't we, mate? So we wanted to to get it out there to the listeners. So that's my excuses out of the way for my poor performance. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sure you won't have one, mate. But now, listen, I know you've listened to a few of these, pal, and um, you know the theme, past, present, future.
2: Yeah. But
1: when I did my little bit of research, and it was only a little bit, to be quite fair, am I right in saying that you're, you're only 32?
2: Yeah, well, 33.
1: 33, right. So there you go. Yeah. My research is out of date. Right, only 33. Four <laughs> Not bad. So for the listeners, right, this is insane. And this might be about a date as well, so do correct me. So 18 years of age, matchman of the year, yeah. four Fishermania finals. Three Park yeah. Dean Masters finals, two Riverfest finals, a Maver match this final, and two pairs finals. That's insane.
2: Yeah, um, yeah. I think uh, four four Park Dean finals. Now I'm managed to qualify for that game in October, and um, um, a couple of Fish North finals as well. So yeah,
1: yeah fair enough.
2: Looking, up to, looking up to get there a few
1: times. You have, haven't you, mate? I mean, that is for such a young chap, um, that's a heck of a CV, I must say. And, and we can talk through that and, and the, the fun and games of those qualifiers and the finals. But let's, uh, let's jump back a wee bit then, Adam. Let's talk about when you started fishing. I know your dad was a big influence in your um, angling career, wasn't he? Tell me about how you started.
2: Yeah, it's a, it's a funny one The first that I can actually remember the very first time I went fishing. But what I can't remember is my first fish, which seems strange, because obviously that's, that's like a big thing for most people, isn't it, the first yeah. fish to catch? I remember this first trip with my dad, and I lived in Billingham at the time, obviously with my parents, um, and my dad took me to a local pond, Charlton's Pond. Mm-hmm. So he took me, got me set up, and was set on the same peg. I wouldn't like to say how old I was, very young, maybe six, seven, eight, something like that. Mm. Uh, so it has got it set up nice and close together sets a feeder rod up for me casts it out and basically says to me you just keep an eye on the tip when it starts pulling you've got a fish it shows me how to strike and away I go yeah now Charlton's Pond now is quite prolific loads of fish in it Billingham Angling and Club who run it have done great there stocked it really well full of fish great place for juniors to get into it yeah but When I started, it wasn't quite so prolific, and and you didn't get many bites. So as you can imagine, young kid, getting a little bit frustrated. I'm not catching anything. Bored. Hmm. But, yeah. But because me and my dad are so close together, both of our rods are next to each other. And I'm looking down, and my tip's doing absolutely nothing. And I'm looking at my dad's, and it's pulling round, But nothing's happening. He hasn't picked it up. He hasn't struck like he showed me. So I quickly jump on his rod, thinking, I'll catch that fish strike. And... Well, I suppose I can remember the first thing I ever caught because it was actually my dad's hand as he was getting the couple.
3: <laughs> no.
2: So, so not so much a first fish, but definitely a first catch, and you know, probably the biggest one I've ever had, I would have thought.
1: Oh, brilliant. Yeah. yeah,
2: that's where it all started. And, and from there, I travelled all over. My dad, he was brilliant when I was Well, he's still brilliant to, to this day, but when I was young, he took me all over the place. Firstly, pleasure fishing I'd go away with some of his mates. Sort of um, Lake District. Uh, We've got the River Derwent at Stamford Bridge, River Swale, mm. all over the place, really. And every time I had a chance to go, it's all I wanted to do. So really lucky in them early years. Just obviously not match fishing or anything like that. Just getting into fishing and
1: yeah, going catching fish and going to all these different places. Um, and just what you wanted to do as a young kid, really. Of course you do. See different places. It's it's a funny one because like your, your neck of the woods up there. It's not really seen as a as a great scene, if you like, match fishing scene as such. So, have you had to travel quite a lot to learn?
2: Yeah, I mean, when I first had match fishing, again, that was a local club, um, APB club, it was called, and I would have been maybe twelve, I would have thought, um, from going and fishing these matches. And generally, we had to travel to North Yorkshire. Mm. places like the oaks woodlands loads of other smaller commercials but they'll be the two that people would have heard of i would think yeah um but sort of round our area which is maybe 35 40 miles further north than that mm. wasn't really anything obviously there's charlton's pond which i mentioned where we went pleasure fishing um a few smaller lakes but nothing really of a, a match fishing type of venue so that's where we used to travel we used to travel to yorkshire and it's not as bad as what some people have you know you hear a lot of people have to travel hours to go fishing that was sort right of 45 50 minutes generally so not a million miles away but it seemed a long way at 12 years old sat in the back <laughs> of a van with three or four blokes traveling there
1: absolutely now i always ask this question when we have uh, match anglers and and people that have progressed very well through the scene um was it a case of going in at the deep end or was it a case of starting with a club? And I think you've just answered, actually, that you started at this club. So, do you remember your first match win?
2: No, I don't really, to be honest. A lot of that time, club fishing sort of blends into one. I remember winning quite a few matches, but I can't really pinpoint what would have been my first one. Um, I started fishing then probably at the age of 12. And when I first started, I was known well known to be honest for walking about the lakes because I wasn't catching and
3: <laughs> standing
2: on the and that type of thing so I can't really remember the first match I won but I remember fishing them up till I was about 14 or 15 mm. um, and at that point I stopped fishing them because I was winning a lot of them probably half as much as I fished maybe more and it was sort of time to to go and move on then but I really can't remember the first one that I ever won um yeah, two big things. That, it's strange. First fish I caught, I can't remember. And, and my first match win, I don't really remember. But I do remember my first open match win.
3: Ah, okay.
2: And that was at Woodlands Lakes in 1st Mm-hmm. So I started fishing there probably, again, like I said, 14, 15. I finished these club matches. And at the time, they always had a match. It was the open match win of the year. Everyone who won an open match
1: would fish this Open Matchman of the Year competition. Oh, like a big, big final sort of thing,
2: yeah? Yeah, yeah, that type of thing. And when I first started fishing, this match was on probably six months, a year, possibly after I started fishing Open matches. Mm-hmm. Um, and I obviously, I hadn't won one to qualify, but it was still an Open running the first day, the same day. Um, so the Open was on Kestrel Lake, and I would always remember that, and that was the first Open match I won. I think I would have been maybe just 15 Um and I remember catching on meat shallow and catching sort of 70 pounder chub.
1: Mm-hmm. Oh, lovely.
2: There's probably not a chub in that lake now. I
1: mean, that's about <laughs> yeah.
2: 20 years ago now. It's making me feel old, old before my time. But it yeah, was probably 17, 18 years ago. And mm. yeah, from there, just that was me. I was off and running and I started travelling about a little bit more. Um, and that's when things like Fishermania Qualified, Neighbor Pairs, and that type of thing came in
1: for me, really. Mm-hmm. So that all happened quite quick then. What was it that was what was it that got you up to that club level, first of all, where all of a sudden you started beating the, the club lads and then you knew it was time to step up? Was it who was who was teaching you? Was you learning as you went through and just picking things up really quickly or did someone have you under the wing or was it your dad or how did you get to those two levels so quick?
2: I think I think the biggest thing was the love for going fishing and all they ever thought about was fishing yeah um i've never ever i probably got to do one of my gcse's at school and i would never ever read a book but i would probably read a thousand fishing magazines <laughs> yeah um obviously things like facebook and that type of thing weren't probably about then. you weren't looking on a computer to look for that type of thing but you could read magazines and I'd read the same ones over and over and over again and I remember having stacks and stacks of them under my bed to the point where you couldn't get under the bed to get anything.
3: Mm-hmm. And every
2: now and again, I'd pull them all out and I might go back two, three, four years and start reading them again. And I think it come from there, just sort of almost... My dad obviously helped me out a bit, but he only really started match fishing because I wanted to. Yeah. So I think a lot of it was just picked up from magazine articles and going out and trying what they were suggesting. Um. And sort of copying tactics that I'd seen, really. And obviously, it just it just went really well. Um, and then going fishing a lot. I mean, I was very lucky. When I very first started fishing open matches, um, I was going to the Oaks Lakes, that's say a lot. Mm. During school holidays and things like that, obviously, I can't drive, can't get there. My dad did take me on a weekend. And someone that helped me out massively at that point was a guy who actually doesn't fish anymore. His name was Gareth Drury. Okay. And Gareth would fish midweek matches. He fish weekend matches. So my dad would take me there at the weekend, and then he'd let me go on with him, and I might go fishing four, five, six days in a row. Ah, okay. Yeah, that helps. Being able to be out fishing and and going fishing was a a massive thing, obviously being on the bank all the time. Um, Yeah, and just sort of picking it up as I went along almost. But I think the other big thing then was a lot of... Things that we now take for granted in the way we fish, sort of shallow fishing and mm. using short lines to your floats and all them type of things, weren't really known about then. Mm. So it gives you the chance to try out things that were sort of not invented almost. Um, and I think that meant that people there wasn't really people that were that far ahead because we were all learning at the same time. Mm. I would think now at that young age it's probably so much harder to come in and be able to compete because
1: everybody
2: already knows everything almost
1: well they do <clears throat> and it's a good point um jim a croaky voice <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, <it's good. laughs> i know but they do but they don't so it's all good and well picking up a magazine like you did and i did back as back in the day and and then going on to a venue that was similar to that article and replicating what uh the information says but there's a million and one variables around that isn't there like the weather like the conditions is it a match condition are you pleasure fishing all those variables are around it so to take something and read it or watch a youtube video and try and go and do it that, that is all good and well and you're right it's, it might be in your head what do you think is the next stage to then owning that process. I guess it's literally just getting on the bank and trying it in all different types of scenarios, first of all.
2: Yeah, I think like, exactly what you say there. It comes down then to experience. You've got the knowledge. Mm. I it's like anything. You don't even need to just take fishing as an example. You could take whatever someone's career may be or a trade or anything and they'll start off as maybe an effectiveness. They'll learn all of the things that they need to do, which obviously I've done reading magazines mostly Yeah. Um. the other thing that came up to be honest which i never meant
1: was things like internet
2: forums which uh, were, yeah they, they were old. just
1: about them weren't they maggot yeah, dramas and stuff like a that
2: version of facebook almost
1: yeah of course but,
2: yeah it was another place to pick a lot of things up and it's it, that sort of thing of if it was in a work situation maybe be an apprentice you learn all the things you get the knowledge it's all in your head And then the next thing after there is just experience going out, doing it over and over and over and over again until you picked it up to the best of your ability.
1: Hmm. I think one of the things that I've picked up throughout these, all these podcasts is, um, I think it was Lee Wright actually that said it and it sticks into my mind all the time. And he says, don't try and beat somebody at their own game, you know, take it, take those magazine articles or those little clips that you 've seen, and you know absorb that information, but don't try and do that against them people on those matches because you 're never going to beat somebody at their own game you 've got to put your own twist on things, and that's really stayed in my mind actually since we had that podcast. Is that something that resonates with you as well
2: yeah, I mean I think if you try and copy someone exactly, you're always one step behind because they'll make them little subtle changes quicker than what you'll make them, mm-hmm. so I mean, one thing over the years anytime anyone's asked me for advice, I've always been more than happy to tell them everything pretty much, yeah. and a lot of the times people have said to me, well you're fishing against them, why tell them, but it's exactly what you just said, if you can tell someone exactly what to do mm. but they'll be trying to beat you or something that you already told so you're already one step ahead?
1: Yeah. It's interesting. Yeah,
2: it's very true that. Very true.
1: Now, with the old um matches of course and, and experience and, and, and then comes the big competition, like you say, do you remember your first qualifier? Um per se, was that official or, or was it a, a match this or what?
2: The first one I really remember that sticks in my head and it would have been one of the very first ones was at a place in Leicestershire called I, Kettleby Lakes.
1: Right. I don't know and that
2: one. That, that was a Shemania qualifier. It's not far from Lakeview.
3: Mm-hmm. It's
2: somewhere that they'd never had a qualifier before. And I would have been... I could probably look on the internet and maybe find it exactly, but if I wasn't 15, I was only just 16. I mm-hmm. just turned 16. I remember drawing an end peg and it was like the nicest looking peg you could imagine. This venue, the fishing was hard from what I was told when I drew what a good lake. An island in front of me and then I'm an end peg with a bank to my right, maybe 30 or 40 metres long. So it's got mm. acres and acres of space. Fantastic. And I caught this small carp all day fishing across the island and it was exactly like fishing mm. at the boat. I was obviously going regular at the time. Mm. And all day the sky cameras were about because back then they were filming them for tight lines. Yes. Qualify them qualifying for tight lines. So the cameras were there all day. And at the end, I actually got interviewed and they told me that I'd won before the win had finished.
1: Oh, right. 15
2: or 16, I've qualified for Fishermania. And I come, obviously, absolutely over the moon. There's people about who I know from the venues are fish coming over saying well done. And I couldn't believe it. And I've gone off to the cafe someone came up to me I can't remember who it was now but they came up to me and said oh i lucky I thought you'd won it and I was thinking well I have won haven't I oh, and it no. turned out I been beat by maybe two or three pounds and the no. j was on the other bank to just beat me so after all that sort of the hard point of Sky interviewing me I'd won the match no. and congrats. it was this massive law suddenly second and it's like but That was my first real taste of getting close, and I think probably spurred me on after that.
1: But I was going to yeah, say as a young boy yeah yeah, as a young kid that's that's the right kick in the nads, isn't it, but it probably made you stronger to 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 go on better, obviously,
2: yeah, definitely, definitely, but that's the first real it's the first fishermania qualifier that sort of sticks in my mind. I remember being very, very young, I think I was still at school. So I was definitely really young, um, and it's the first one that sticks in my mind. But I think it was, it was definitely the first year I fished qualifiers, but it was probably one of the very first actual qualifiers I fished.
1: I remember mine, you know. <laughs> it yeah. Was f- yeah, I do. It was the first ever I and that was 94, I want to say. Right. And it was such a big thing in the press. And as you've just said, there wasn't... There wasn't really any internet then. It was all about angling times. It was all about Anglers mail. And, you know, it was such a big thing in the press. And you had to apply over the phone and via a post and send a check and all sorts of stuff. But the qualifiers were massive. I still remember it. It was on the Sankey St. Helens Canal in Warrington. And if I remember rightly, there were 300 on it. Okay. And there was... I think the top two went through back in them days. I think there was only eight qualifiers and two went through, something like that. I'd have to have have a look through the old archives, but I still remember it. And I remember it so well because I'd won my my very first match, a club match as a kid, uh, the year before on that very canal with one tench (laughs) across on the far bank. So I thought, I'm going to fish it exactly the same. Needless to say, the tactic didn't pay off. And I think I weighed in about four ounce, but... Yeah, it's just one of those things. It, they're great, aren't they? And I think for the listeners, if the, if you've not got involved, and and there's you know there can be a bit of a, a a very friendly atmosphere, and it's like a build up, and there's a lot of banter, and obviously a lot of commercials now. Have got cafes you can sit down, talk to all the lads and whatnot. And if you've not fished it, I would say whether it's fish or whether it's any of the other big big ones now, I'd say give it a try. I know it's difficult now with the getting the tickets and all the rest of it. But when they come about, give it a go. And I would say, you will remember your first one as Adam and I have just talked through. <laughs> Happy days, yeah. mate. Happy days.
2: I mean, there's, It's one thing that's been definitely missing last year with COVID and drawing the night before. There's a real, not normally a real buzz on the morning of the match, isn't there? there's Obviously, yeah. a lot of people there hanging around the draw all talking, are you going to draw well, are you going to draw bad? Will you have a chance to qualify? And that's been missing a little bit the last couple of years. So I think this year, by the look of we're going to be drawing on the morning again. So a lot of that buzz will come back as well.
1: Yeah, no, absolutely. You're right. There's that buzz and there's that sort of feeling about it. And and you're right, actually. I, I know BT still cover a few bits and pieces like the UK champs, but I do miss those cameras there as well. You know, I think that magazine-type show, weekly or fortnightly, like tight lines, is definitely missing. Because um, that was quite a nice addition to the qualifiers, wasn't it?
2: Yeah, it was, and I remember being young, and like that first qualifier at ITELB is a prime example. I remember being young before I'd actually qualified for one of these finals. When you knew it had done well, and you'd seen the cameras there, you'd be waiting then the next week for it to come on telly, because yeah. you'd see, it, see what they said and what was happening. and It was something to really look forward to, and it's something that is missing now from it. I think I mean, so. Previously, they would obviously do the round before the qualifiers, and then coming up to the final, you'd have sort of um, people from Sky. would come to your house or come to where you work and do interviews. And it doesn't seem to happen quite as much now as as what it did back then. But obviously, still a brilliant event and still the one that everyone knows.
1: Yeah, I think so as well. See, so you were listening out on sight lines to see where you'd come and what the competition. I just wanted to get my face on the camera. <laughs> yeah. it was never going to come anywhere. I always just went for <laughs> <to> the crack. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Brilliant. Good. Well, that's talking a little bit about um, fish on one. We can get into those finals, especially we can talk about that one, uh, you know, the one that Shane Atkin won as well, where you was... Uh, the bank runner, if you wish. I mean, that was just—I always remember that because yeah. I was—I was there. I was at the the finals, so it was a bus. But you know, everybody loves an underdog. That's a great story. But get to that. But anyway, so we've gone through these first couple of fish hole qualifiers and whatnot. Matchman of the year. So to win this eighteen—is that the youngest? You know. Yeah. Yeah. I, was it is. I know Andy May was quite young when he won it, but that's eighteen's yeah, insane. Have, I think he might have been about twenty-one when he won. Yeah, that's um, impressive. 25. But. Yeah. That competition has massive prestige sat behind it. Um, again, I'm a wee bit older than you, so I can think back to when I was a kid. And it, if I was 18, the main people around then days, you know, you Dave Harrells of this world. Darren Bickerton, you know, consistent top, top anglers. Steve Conroy, Dave Barrow, uh, is top, top canal anglers. And yeah. then commercials were coming into the fore as well. Steve Ringer would have been pretty big as well. And really, really sort of consistent anglers over here. Massive prestige. Get you 20 points. You get into the final. You saw us be at Moreland's Farm. Loads. Was you aware of that history behind it when you decided to sort of, you know, when you really pushed on for it or was it a case of oh actually I'm winning a few matches and building up a few points and then it was a case of oh let, let's get involved with this competition what was your knowledge of the event?
2: I think the big thing for me obviously in my area there was a lot of 50 plus peg matches and as I was first coming into them matches it was mentioned all the time everyone was chasing after 20 points to get into the That's British right. Open yeah. so I was all of it I remember um, a really good angle from around for Dean Smith winning the competition, probably. I would have been maybe, I don't know, 13, 14. And I remember reading a stopwatch feature um, at Woodlands First. It was the last day of the season when Dean won it. I think him, Andy May and Mark Coyne were all in the running. Dean ended up coming out on top. But I remember reading it and it's going through it blow by blow as it's happening on the match. And I was thinking, wow,
3: mm.
2: how excited that one of these people, as I'm reading, is going to win this competition. And that makes them the most consistent and the thing of that year. And from then when I started fishing open, it was sort of the... Obviously, Fishermania was talked about, but Fishermania was the only real big individual, big money match at the time. Mm. Um, And the Camerson was the one that was spoken about by everyone in my area. Everyone chasing points. Obviously, Dean won it that year, and him and Mike Coyne were always right up there. Mm. Uh, So I was aware of it the whole time. And initially, when I was sort of 16, 17, I remember trying to get them 20 points myself trying to get in that final. Uh, And actually, I never managed it up until the year I won it. It would have only been two years probably before that when I'd been fishing opens um, and I remember the year before I won it I finished on 19 points oh, oh close uh, yeah 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 and a match at Woodlands in Thirsk I'd caught something like 35 car and at the time it was one net only fishing one net so 60, 70 pounds winning the match and I'm thinking well I've easily got that went to lift my net out and there's one calf in it and I sort of in shock, no. I'm looking about thinking, am I on the wrong peg? And there was a rick in my net, the full length of one of the rings. Oh. I've lost off the and it would have been enough to frame in the match and give me that 20 points.
1: Give me the 20 points. Oh, and at my
2: point, word. i thinking to myself, I could win the Camerson at some point. I'm thinking to myself, I'd love to get in that final. That was sort of my aim, to get them 20 points. Mm-hmm. Um, and obviously,
1: that year would have been my first chance, had it not been for that, that rick net. Wow. Another another close but no cigar story. Yeah, another one. There's been a few over the I was going to say, unlucky Adam.
2: A uh, yeah, a lot of them.
1: But you've got to be in that position to, to, to for these things to happen. You know what I mean? You've got to be putting yourself out there and, and doing the business for, for these unlucky things and it, it has to equal out at the end of it. Crikey, what a nightmare. Well, I mean... <laughs> It's an interesting one because obviously it sort of folded a few years ago. And I think the last winner was probably Lee Thornton, I guess. Yeah. Um, so there's a, you go on these, like I say, forums and pages and whatnot. And people often say, do you think that this could be reinvented? Well, of course it could. But it's just the format of how we're going to do it. You know, 50 peggers are few and far between nowadays. So that would have to be reduced. I think it might have been 30, 35 towards the last yeah. um, couple of years. Um, where would an open be? Would it be a natural? Would it be a commercial? Could you do a bit of both? Could you have a day on one, a day on another? So it's a—it was a really, really good competition with some great prestige. And uh, what did you think when you saw all those names on that trophy? I bet you was like, "Wow!" Yeah, I
2: mean, when I—the year I won it, it was a strange year because it must have been two thousand ten. No, hmm. it was longer than that. Two thousand eight, maybe. And it was a really bad winter. Everywhere was frozen over. Um, so at the start of the year, I'd got a really good start. I finished, I'd got to sort of that 20-point mark in no time. And I was leading it for a long time. And then these frosts come, and there was just months. to fish everywhere was frozen. And when I said it was frozen, there was like 8 or 10 inches of ice on the You couldn't Yeah, it. terrible. And, and it was a really strange winter. And I remember all winter thinking, well, I what's going on? And towards the end of the season, people called someone, maybe Gary Skerritt, I think it was, or took me. Um, and then right at the end, there two because they it was a certain point the weekend, and, and obviously that done it to me. But when I got the trophy, the last match I fished was at Blundell's. Um, that's where Gary Skerritt was going. I think he's was the only person who could have beat me if he'd have won that weekend. And I went to Blundell's, my dad took me there, obviously he still couldn't drive. and was probably I was old enough to drive by then, still hadn't learned. So my dad took me all the way to Blundell.
1: And was yeah, a driving and a half, yeah.
2: Yeah, it was, yeah. And Gary Skerritt's there, obviously, who could beat me, drew two pegs away. And Neil Lichten was there, who yeah, won yeah. the competition the year before. And it could also be the same year when he won, I think he won Fisher on the park Dean as well. And he was probably the best commercial angler in the country at the time, I would have said. And just him handing me the trophy at the end of the day was like, Wow, this is this is a guy who's probably the best commercial fishery angler in the country and he's passing a trophy to me that he's won and now I've mm. won it. Um and then obviously moving on from there on the way home, I'm looking at the trophy, I'm looking at all the names and it's sort of a who's who mm. of every generation of fishing, every style of fishing, every name you could pick from the last Twenty or thirty years was probably yeah. on there somewhere because it listed. It didn't just list the winner every year; it had the top ten from each year on there. And Did it really? It got, yeah. So, wow!
1: Everybody you could imagine was on there somewhere. What we what we spoke about there as well is that you mentioned the Oaks, SA, and you know Thursk and Woodlands and whatnot, and Blumbles which was one of my old haunts in the northwest, and all commercials. Well, let's not yeah. let's not beat about the bush here. you know, no slouch on rivers and natural waters. So what's your preference?
2: Uh, yeah, it's hard to say. Um, to be honest, I absolutely love every style of fishing. If I could only do one thing for the rest of my life, it would probably yeah. be running a float down a river and catching chub. Yeah, I um, That's probably not the best style of fishing for match fishing because first of all matches are really, really peggy. Second it's not that many venues. Um obviously commercials really do lend themselves to match fishing. Now it's yeah, easy absolutely. for everyone, preparation's a bit easier, you don't need as much gear, walks are better, facilities are there. So, yeah, I love both. I mean, last year, I never fished, I haven't fished any river matches last year. Um, But, I'm going to do a few this year and sort of get back to it. So, I wouldn't really say there's a massive preference. I like to mix the two up a little bit and previous to last year, I had a real good go at Riverfest um, Mm. for sort of two years, qualified to the final both times and loved going to all these different river venues. I've never fished. And it was probably a bit like my old original days of fishermania, going to new venues. When you yeah. go to them quite like now, you've generally been to all these places, but it was like starting over again and I went places like the River Beaver, uh, the Avon yeah, the Avon, uh went on the Trent. Where else did I go? Oh I can't think now, so the the Saw. Uh, loads of venues I'd never seen and different bits of rivers I'd never seen. And makes
1: it exciting this, again, does not it?
2: Yeah, brought a bit of excitement back and a bit of mystery, a bit of intrigue. Um obviously it's a lot easier to find out the information you need these days because with things yeah, like Facebook right. and YouTube and everywhere's got a website. But yeah, it was it was really good. Really enjoyed that couple of years doing something that little bit different and learning a lot of stuff as well.
1: No, hundred percent, and it's it is a well, it used to be, I guess, a real um, separate scene. I always thought, you know, you was either a natural river angler or you was commercial, but uh, the more I look into this, the more I started fishing natural waters again, and I'm starting to see more and more crossover, whether it be commercial anglers that want to give rivers and canals and, and big reses a go for the first time, something different, mix the fishing up a bit, or whether it be, those anglers that swapped over to commercials years ago because of all the the poor parking, the long walks, the no toilets. And and, and as natural venues have got better with facilities, anglers are mixing it up a little bit more as well. So you're starting to see the same faces across the the different types of venues as well. Have you found anything similar to that?
2: Yeah, obviously you do get some people who do nothing but fish naturals, and you you get some who do nothing but fish commercials, of course definitely now a a big mix who do a bit of both especially looking at things again like those those big qualifiers, you'll see people and Andy Powers jumps out straight away who's qualifying for big money Mm. commercial matches, he's qualifying for Riverfest, Feeder Masters obviously doing them all and there's a lot of people who are on all of them different scenes and drifting back and forward to each one. Um, one thing I would say, is that those couple of years, I spent fishing a lot more river matches. It's definitely come become a lot harder to win on commercials because you're going away from a venue changing week in, week out to go and do something else and go back again and try and beat people who are doing it every week. And I Mm. definitely felt like when I was trying to do both a lot, the commercial side of my fishing probably did suffer a bit. But that being said, I did really enjoy it. So, I mean, at the end of the day, we all want to be winning. We all want to be doing well. But the first thing is enjoying what you're doing. And then two years were probably the the most enjoyable years I've had, had, or I had had for for quite a long time and it's all new
1: and it's all different Well let's talk then finally just to wrap up these big events and these qualifiers and and uh, <laughs> we've had obviously a lot of these guys on the podcast have, have been big money finalists or winners or whatever um, and it's always quite interesting to get in the mindset of, of not how to qualify but just I mean, I think I used the word when I spoke to Harry Bignall about his work. So I think I'd literally, you know, I'd, I'd shit myself. If I got in one of these big finals, I'd, I'd I'd genuinely crumble. I don't think I've got the minerals to sort of, especially with cameras on and stuff like that. So the mindset I find really interesting. But these Park Dean finals as well, that is an ultimate test, really. Of I mean, you've had to finish really high up in a festival as it is to qualify. And then it's not like where you might have qualified for fish show or matched this month in advance and you've had a chance to practice and all that. It's all within the space of quite a short period of time. So how do you find, how do you get your mindset ready for that once you know you've you've done well in your festival and you've, you've made it into the final? Is it like a different preparation piece for Park Dean? How does that work?
3: I yeah, think,
1: to be honest, you've just got to go to their matches. You're not there.
2: Obviously, you've spent all trying to win a festival or frame in a festival get yourself to this final so you're fishing for mm. points and trying to beat eight or nine people whatever you make in your section you need to change your mindset because you're in there to win and you need to, mm. obviously you need to draw the peg first but the next thing is you need to be fishing the method that's going to win you the match it's no good trying to do well you're not just trying to do well you're trying to win £25,000 you're trying to win a Pacti Masters title mm-hmm. Um. Obviously, you need to go there and do the right thing to win. It's no good fishing a method that's safe and steady to catch. 50 pound, if 80 pound's going to win, you're better off fishing a method to catch 80 pound and maybe blank. There's no prizes for second. And I've actually been second and know how that feels. And I would hate to ever think it'd happen again. Hmm. Yeah, so the mindset totally changes from what you have been doing. You don't so much need to get yourself into the mindset that this is a big match. You need to get yourself into the mindset that I am only there to win, I think.
1: Do you think that's why sometimes the weights don't look so good? Because everybody's going all out blazing. Yeah, definitely. definitely. But
2: maybe not everyone's of the same mindset, but I would rather go there and come last, having given myself a chance to win, than come away mm-hmm. and win third. And I think, and you know what? I didn't give myself a chance. I was only ever going to come third because I didn't do something that's going to help me win. And of all them finals I've fished I've had some terrible matches where I've sat there and caught absolutely nothing, mm. but never came away too despondent because I came away thinking if I had a chance to win, I could have won. I would have won. But that first, that first 15 final i when I came second, I came away absolutely devastated. Got beat by two pound or three pound and yeah that's just you just don't want that to happen Do you want to go and and give yourself every possible chance of winning the match
1: and that day Have you lost any fish as well
2: yeah i had a bit of a problem at the end with the sun the sun came out and i couldn't see my float, but when when it slowed down i was catching f1s or carassi or shallow and when it slowed down i messed out for a little bit and i tried to catch him on the bottom and in hindsight, I was never going to win. And to catch the bottom, I was just trying to keep putting fish in the net. And I should right. have just stuck yeah. to my guns and kept doing what I was doing and just kept nicking and wanting them. I'm sure I could have won. So that's sort of where it's almost, it can be detrimental setting up things that aren't going to win you the match. So if I hadn't mm. set a rig up to fish on the bottom, which I was probably
1: never going to win doing, maybe I would have won. Yeah, difficult one. And I know what you mean about this the the leaving the match and um thinking shoulda woulda coulda because your old mate Nick Speed I think he said on his podcast that out of all the finals that he's qualified for he's only really ever felt that he had one, maybe two opportunities where he could have won. Um yeah. you know the rest of the time it was like I've left I've done myself justice, um the peg wasn't great and, and all the other reasons, you know, you wouldn't beat yourself up about it. Um yeah. so that's Good, like you say is like if if you went away and you you'd killed yourself because you've you know you break yourself you match down from start to finish should have done this should have done that it's just not a great frame of mind to leave I guess but no it's interesting well let's um, let's talk about the final then of Shane Atkin uh, yeah what are we talking now 2011 2012 uh, I don't remember the exact year yeah yeah it be
2: probably 2011 I would think yeah yeah. Yeah.
1: That, back. Well, yes, yeah, over ten years ago. So let let's think, yeah. uh 'cause I remember being there. I mean, it's a Cudmore's a good venue because everyone has a great view and and all the rest of it. wee bit Peggy depending on the wind, all the rest of it. But you've been there, you've done it. You've been in these finals, <clears throat> and you sat with a mate of yours that, um, you know, I'm sure he wouldn't mind me saying himself. He wasn't one of the favourites. He wasn't the one of the most well known. What did you bring? To his performance that day being his bank runner? The
2: big thing, I think, Shane used to do really well at places like the Oaks, fishing sort of light elastics, light lines, tapping up, being a little bit negative, but it suited the venue. And I remember mm-hmm. I was going practicing and I'd put some elastic in his pole. I was with Browning at the time and it was like some 12 to 14 hollows of blue stuff. I put that in his pole for him and we're fishing, Captain these darvel. I jumped in a gear and had a go. And when I hooked one, I pulled it so hard and netted it, and he sort of couldn't believe it because he would never have <laughs> like that. Yeah. I think he came away after our practices and he'd become so much more aggressive and I think that probably stood him in real good stead from that point of view that I spoke about of you're there to win. So, yeah. you need to have that little bit of aggression and that little bit of positivity about what you're doing. Um, mm-hmm. But we had some real good practices and we caught a lot of fish fishing along pole with worms. But the one thing we caught loads and loads of fish on was bombing meat. Um, mm. And that was obviously what he won on on the day. Pretty much. I think he caught a few fish on the pole early, but he, most of it was on bomb and meat. Um, and I think probably just having someone next to him to sit and talk to and take his mind off it a little bit because he was a little bit nervous and I think there was some there was some shots on Fishermania and you been trying to hook bait and he was shaking a little bit and
1: that's what I'd be like yeah
2: yeah <laughs> when you're chucking a bomb out you're sitting and waiting for the rod to go around I think just having someone next to you to sit and talk to and, and take your mind off it a little bit's a big thing yeah uh, but get yeah, that, that was, makes sense I, I remember sitting there with him and and he was pretty much winning all the way through to be honest he had almost the perfect match. He just kept catching fish, kept on fishing the net. And come the end of the match, he probably came away thinking it'd been the perfect day. Couldn't have went any better. Pretty much led start to finish, kept on fishing the net and, and never really had anything to worry about. I think Simon mm. Christian started catching him up towards the end, but he had such a good lead already. He was, he was sort of away and, and winning it. And I remember sitting there with maybe 10 minutes to go, and he had the biggest smile on his face you could ever imagine. <laughs> I sat thinking to myself, wow, this, he won it. It's like, again, it's one of them things where it's just sort of surreal. It, it's the biggest thing in fishing. Oh, it was, at the, well, I would still say it is now, but it definitely was at the time. And he sat there just about to win it, leading on the board, no one has got a fish in the net and no,
1: no one can catch him and it must have just
2: been it was an amazing feeling for me sat there next to him so I can't imagine what he was feeling
1: and then of course that then gives you even more confidence to keep trying and trying because I guess you know you want it to be you don't you?
2: Yeah of course you do Yeah, I was absolutely over the moon for Shane delighted for him to win he's hes one of the nicest people you could ever meet real good yeah. friend but I was thinking there's still that little bit in your mind thinking I think at that time I've maybe been in two Two for sure finals, maybe maybe three, and I'm mm. thinking, why couldn't it have been me? And it's <laughs> as much as I love it, winning, it's still there in your mind. Why couldn't it have been me? And I'm sure it always will be
1: until hopefully the day I finally win one. Well, there's plenty of time on your hands, that's for sure, and I I agree. I mean, I talk about <coughs> excuse me, talk about all the big money finals um, on these. On these big chats and for me I think Fisher is still by far and away the number one. And I think um the speed of the tickets this year were sold out justifies that as well. Um new final this year is coming down my way to Lincolnshire. Um yeah. style of fishing that would be right up your street as well. So, you know, hopefully you you get there for sure. Um Brilliant. Loads of good, good insight no there about big finals. Yes, fingers crossed for you, buddy. But you just did touch on a little bit. I want to talk now slightly away from the the match fishing mindset let's talk about tackle you mentioned browning a second ago now again for a young chap um good knowledge good insight tackle big brands browning shimano now frenzy what is it about tackle and consulting with tackle companies and how does that does it help your fishing do you enjoy being the testing part, and the or is it the innovation part? What what, what drawn you to to getting involved with the tackle companies?
2: To be honest, I've been very very lucky. When we spoke earlier about the Camerson, at the same time I won the Camerson I qualified for fisherman, and I come second in the pack, being final. It all happened really really quickly, and yeah. that's Brown approach And to be honest, all the time it was at Brown way so absolutely brilliant i couldn't have asked for a better sponsor at the time um yeah basically if i needed something i got it never questioned give me everything i could ever want the one thing i didn't do as much of as i liked, i would have liked was sort of the development and testing side of it and i think mm. that's partly down to the fact that we've got people in germany doing that and it's obviously hard for me to get involved because i'm I'm in a different country. Yeah. I was still it's an young. incredibly big company, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, massive. And obviously, I'm still I'm still young, especially when I started. I was just 18. Um, and eventually, that's what led me to, to leave. Um, I did do some testing of products, some rods, and, and got involved and did give my opinion quite a lot, but not to the degree that I wanted to do. I really did want to be yeah. involved. If, I was using a rod I wanted to know how I'd had the input into that, and I'd got it exactly how I wanted. And as good as they were, and they were brilliant, and I could never have one bad word to say about Browning because I couldn't have asked for someone better to support me in my fishing. But I just mm. didn't quite have the role that I felt like I wanted to have. So when I left them to go to Shimano, that was the real reason behind it. I was going to be more involved. They were relaunching the brand at the time. I'm not relaunching the brand.
1: Trying to bring the brand back to life, I would say. There was a new range of... Yeah, re-energising. Re-energising, exactly.
2: The new range of odds had just come out, which were brilliant. And there was all this other tackle to follow. And obviously the big thing as well, I was going to get to work alongside Nick Speed, who... He's not only sort of a friend in fishing, he's one of my best friends. So mm. that was another good plus point. Um, it never really worked out how I wanted. Uh, probably a lot to do with, I guess, the pandemic and, and things just were never quite how I wanted them to be. So after all that time at Brown in 12, 13 years, I think,
3: yeah. I went to Shimano
2: for one year and I was leaving. Again, same thing. It, it wasn't so much... It was nothing to do with tackle or anything like that. But I wasn't doing what I wanted to be doing. Mm-hmm. Um, so my frenzy came and approached me, that was totally different. The role that I've got's totally different. Um I'm not well, just there
3: as but a
1: then,
2: where I'm getting involved with everything from media to product
1: meetings and
2: testing products. Oh, and I, totally
1: I know your dulcet tones on those products videos is very impressive. <laughs> okay <laughs> hey? yeah. well just before you go any further with this <clears throat> just oh my voice again <clears throat> let's explain to the listeners what's gone on here because frenzy is not frenzy per se so for those listeners that are un- unsure or unaware when you think frenzy the old precision was it was part of their brand and that was when they were a welsh outfit um that was yeah. a few years ago, and, and you know they come out of a few different bits and pieces. But since then, Frenzy now is owned by the Cipher Group, And under that umbrella yeah. of the Cipher Group, are the likes of Tracker, Aqua I'm sure there's a few others that you can mention. Yeah, so it's a totally Cigna. different company, Cigna as well, yeah. It's a totally different company to, to what maybe some of the listeners think about Frenzy. So just to what you're saying is when a company's been bought out and wants to relaunch and say you, look, you want to get involved with tackle development, you want to get involved with the media side of things, we've got anglers like Paul Yates, we've got Barry Zimmerman behind the camera, and and do you want to get involved? You know, absolutely I see where you're coming from. I just want the listeners to understand that the frenzy they might be thinking of, which was a brand that sort of faded away, has now completely been relaunched. So I guess that's part of what you're about to say.
2: Yeah, exactly. So when Frenzy approached me to join, or Safer approached me to join Frenzy, it was basically a brand new start, not just for me, but for the company as well. So all the previous products, and some of them were really good. Not, I'm not going to say all of them were discontinued, but a lot of that discontinued it almost like we're starting a new company again with a frenzy name. Now there might be some products that were very good and that people won that may be relaunched, but we're looking to sort of develop a full range of tackles, you know. Everyone from your first time out pleasure angler all the mm. way right up to your top flight match angler. Now that obviously isn't gonna come tomorrow. It's it's a mm. project more than thing. So each year we're aiming to gradually increase increase the amount of tackle we're selling, the customer base we've got to sell it to. So it's not something where mm. up to a few people to one of if not the best tackle company in the world to go to friends, who people were looking at as the old friends, like you just said. And mm. they found it a strange decision initially was in the long run probably an opportunity I would never get anywhere else to be that involved because I'm involved yeah. with the company now right from the very start basically. Um mm. and the plans going forward and the aims for the future, they're aiming really high. Obviously I want to aim really high. Yeah. So it's the perfect match really and I get to do all the type of things I was wanting to do at Brown and at Shimano. That never really happened. Um and I think the future's really bright. Starting off fairly slow, we've obviously introduced some products to start. Um, Really, Mm -hmm. really good luggage range that's been taken brilliantly. Lots of terminal tackle items. Um, The biggest thing that I've seen has probably been the winter suit, which is unbelievable value for money, and everyone seems to want to buy it. So they're just the starting products, and moving on, we'll be releasing more and more as and when it's been tested, developed,
1: and, and we're happy with what we've got. No, really ex- exciting projects, and I think that's you've outlined it perfectly as to why you've you know you've done what you've done and is the team gonna grow or is it you know um I know there's a good sort of three or four of you there consulting full time and working as a close knit team but is it is there gonna be more consultants coming on board or are you just gonna like say it's a steady progress first
2: yeah i mean i I would think. Over the years, everything will grow. Everything will be increased. We'll push on with everything. But it's it's a slow start. I think you've got to work from the ground up. So of obviously that's a question probably for someone else. But I wouldn't think there'll be any massive rush to get anyone else. But long term, I'm assuming we want to grow the brand. We want to grow the company. Everything needs to increase eventually. But if you try and rush out and bring everything at once and do everything in one go it's probably the type of thing that's destined for failure.
1: Mm, too to much too
3: to
2: soon. And I think, I think if you look at yeah. Guru maybe for an example, when the first launched probably, what, 15 years ago or now, they had a few mm. feeders and some hooks, and look at where yeah. they are now. So yeah. that's that's a Absolutely. great way to look at that. You, can, you need a starting point, which we've got now. We've got products in the shops, got some very good products in the shops as well. and. Um, good quality good value everything the customer wants really a uh, real good offer with the five for four offer they've got so people are buying four items of terminal tackle getting five something totally new to the industry that i've never seen before um, and we've got a real good solid foundation now to build on to push forward and
1: and keep improving yeah really good price point as well and like i said luggage looks absolutely bang on looks like it'll last forever wipe clean all the rest of it fantastic well we've come right up to to modern times there we've covered the past if you like the big money finals and the the development of your angling Um, and as my voice is disappearing we we must talk about the future so we touched on it a little bit there with frenzy but what's your plan for this year for 2022 um and beyond
2: uh Biggest thing, I mean, I speak to some people who all they want to do is fish sort of big competitions. They always want to catch loads of fish for the best peg. And, and one thing that really frustrates me about angling and always has, and even more so now, is when you look at all the mourning and all the disappointment and all of the complaints and people are never happy. Or oh, some people are never happy. But one thing I love is just going fishing. And I could go out and fish a match mm. every single day. I could have a bad day tomorrow and the day after I can't wait to go again. So the main thing is to just fish as much as I possibly can. I would go every single day if I could. Obviously, that's yeah. not really practical, but if I could go every day, I would. I just love going fishing. Um, but away from that, obviously, just going fishing, enjoying it again, as much as I can. So there's qualifiers starting any time. So in two weeks, I go to White Acres for the Frenzy Festival. On the mm. way on from there, got my first Fishermania qualifier at Western Pools, and then after that, I've well, I say I got a load of tickets. I was at work. My wife luckily managed to get me a load of tickets for that. Doing my very Good best girl. to qualify for that. Yeah, doing my very best to qualify for that. Um, I want to fish some Riverfest qualifiers again. Something I definitely missed last year. I didn't fish any river matches and. I'm not planning on fishing loads, but it's just nice every now and again to go and fish one, break things up a bit, mix it up. So they're yeah. probably my two big names, Fishermania and Riverfest, and obviously anything else that comes along along the way, but they're my two main aims definitely
1: for this year. First of all, fish as much as I possibly can, and then hopefully qualify for Fishermania and Riverfest. Fingers crossed. It's interesting what you said there about um, the moaning and the whinging, and I don't really don't really touch upon that that much on on these big chats because it's we know that it happens it's a bit of a taboo if you like, but do you think what do you think that's fueled by? I think personally there's a bit of social media behind it um, yeah as in expectation levels are raised uh higher than perhaps the, the given the variables that match fishing and such like I said before, weather pegs, all the rest of it, yeah. When you read somebody's blog, if you want to call it that, or posts on a social media, they think they've fished the perfect match. Um, so I think that brings it into it. My other opinion as well is that I think <laughs> I think some anglers think they're better than what they are, uh, without being realistic. So there's a bit of that to it. <laughs> what do you think about this this moaning then? Because it's really interesting that you mentioned I think,
2: it. I think there's a lot of I think there's a lot of factors. I think a bit of it is maybe bravado. Um, people people just want it's to a good word like, yeah I think they're only ha- want to act like they're only happy if they win um, they want to be seen as, as the, the best but everybody has bad days and if you don't admit to the fact that you've had a bad day or you've done something wrong you haven't made the most of your peg how are you ever likely to improve if you can't admit your mistakes to start with then you're never going to put them mm-hmm. right so I think that's a big thing Um I listen to some of it, I see some of it on Facebook or on whatever you might be looking at it on, and sometimes I just look and think, do these people even enjoy going fishing? At the end of the day, <laughs> well, yeah. The, the first thing on on your mind is you want to go fishing, you enjoy going fishing, and if all you're going to do is come home and moan about it, my peg was rubbish, the day was rubbish, I never caught anything, or I've had a hundred pounds, it was rubbish. Well, <laughs> have you even enjoyed your day? you're enjoying going fishing, is it for you? <laughs> you need to come away from the and enjoy it if you haven't enjoyed it because you don't enjoy going, what's the point?
1: I love that. Absolutely. And I don't know I know exactly <laughs> I know exactly the sort of post you're talking about. When we when we start seeing about wheel spins off car parks and things like that, you do you think to yourself Yeah. Yeah. I don't know whether fishing's for you. Absolutely. Exactly. I, think,
2: I think sometimes you've got to accept fishing isn't always a fair sport and you're not always going to see Too many right. variables. Too many variables. But go out, enjoy your day, and obviously if you win, we all want to win. I've come away loads of times, maybe a bit annoyed at myself, thinking I'm not had that right, I should have won, I should have done this, I should have done that. But very, very rarely do I come away and think, that was rubbish, why did I go? I'm not going again. I'm, I just want to go on. home. So, well, I was going to say sort my tackle out, but I'm not too well known for that. Um, I just get home if I've had a bad day I want to go again the next day and try and have a good day at the end of the day for 99.99% of people fishing is a hobby and it's something they enjoy doing and I think that the mourning side of it really sort of lets it down a bit it sort of almost sours the day a little bit when you hear someone else
1: doing nothing but mourn about how it's gone it does, and and it's you know. I've just thought of a, um, a scenario, a couple of scenarios actually, w- where you can uh, avoid that mindset. So, two situations, both the same. You drew next to me once. You won't know this. I was on a fishermania qualifier, <clears throat> and we was on Partridge Lakes, and you that was is- on. Uh, we was on the ribbon pool which is a little tiny one just behind the cafe.
3: Oh, I remember that,
1: yeah. Yeah, we haven't got much of an help on there, to be honest. Yeah, exactly. You drew the really bad bit as well, which never gets any sun. Anyway, the point is, I fished away, enjoyed my day. I think I had about 30-odd pound of hide or whatever. Um, I think you fished for about an hour, realized it wasn't going to be great, went for a bit of a wander, and then come back and pretty much sacked up for the last two hours. I think you won your section, maybe. But it's a case of you're not going to spit your dummy out and you're not going to, you know, wheel spin it off the car park and say, oh, this isn't going to do anything. You just worked worked out the peg pretty quick and, and made the most of it, which was the last few hours. And I think of another scenario, Kieran Rich, Blundell's, you've just been speaking about before. He's fished there a lot and we fished the winter. And again, you know what winter fishing is like. Sometimes you sit there for three hours and you don't get a bite until sort of two in the afternoon. Again, he knew that, he'd set up, Wash a load of maggots in, go down to the pub, have a pint, come back and then win the match. <laughs> and he did it, he did it many times. Um, and, and it's the case, it's that thing, that mindset is that, okay, it might not be the greatest peg that I wanted. It might not be, I might not be bagging up from the, from the whistle but actually, I've got to read this peg, I've got to put the hard work in, I've got to work it all out, and I'm going to make the most of it, whether it's the last 10 minutes or whether it's the full five hours sort of thing. So, yeah,
3: yeah,
1: I, I get exactly because, what um, you're saying.
2: The big thing to do amazing how many times you can you can go and have a walk or leave your peg for half an hour. And I suppose by model match rules, it's I mean, not something you should do, but obviously it happens, and... The amount of times you leave your peg and it's quiet and there's no disturbance and you come back and there's loads of fish there, it's, it's unbelievable. And I think there's a lot to be said for that. I mean, I remember years ago reading articles in magazines going back to that and reading about people breaking the ice at Gold Valley. And they used to break the ice, pot some bait in, bloodworm joker, that type of thing. And then they'd all go and have a breakfast and a cup of tea and sitting on mm. something so they can go back after an hour and a half when it's quiet the peg's settled down from the ice break and there's some bait there. and they'd go back and catch 20 and 30 pound of roach so I think sometimes not being at your peg can actually work really well um, and yeah. the amount of times people maybe pack up after two hours and yeah. possibly you've you've wasted your chance of maybe winning section or doing well because you're gone before the best time of the match
1: I think really so well. I think it's easy to just go to the loo
2: yeah exactly yeah there's times when it's you're not going to catch
1: anything and it's going to be rubbish and
2: you've got a three-hour drive home and you might pack up and go on early but then to sort of do nothing but mourn about the fishing about the venue and that type of thing probably not really the, the right way to go about it i don't think
1: no i don't think so at all listen mate it's been fascinating um... You know, we got there in the end. It's been a while in the making because, remember, yeah. we had the famous Robson Green who upended you. So we had to put yeah, this one back. Me
2: out. he pushed you yeah, out. Yeah, he
1: pushed you out. But, you know, he's you followed him well. So not a problem at all. <laughs> Listen, thank you yeah. so much for yeah. your time and the insight of um, not only the the big matches and, and all the, the good stuff and, and, you know, the when you was... Uh, your matchman of the year and all that, but the tackle side of things as well, because I think, and one of these other elements of, of some of these anglers, I think that, um, you know, wheels spinning off car parks and all the rest of it, I think a lot of them tend to believe that they should be sponsored and they should have this, that and the other. And actually you've just given a bit of an insight there that it's not always the way that things work or, you know, the reasons why people, uh, yep get into consultancy roles and things. So thank you for that, because that was a really interesting insight. And hopefully I outlined to the listeners, actually Frenzy is not perhaps who you think it it is, if that makes sense. No, so I, final thoughts. Just one last thing on the the Frenzy
2: thing. I think it's, my point of view, a, a massive thing coming up, a, a real good project for me, a real good project for the company. And obviously
1: a lot to come over the next sort of four or five years no exciting times here, buddy. so well i wish you all the best thank you so much for your time hopefully i'll match uh, yeah. might to next to you again on uh, one of the fish shows or um <coughs> a river fest hopefully i'll have a bit of a, of a better voice by then thanks for joining me on the big chat thanks very much
2: teddy fisher baits specialize in the manufacture of fishing ground bait and additives We combine a 40-year-old proven fish catching recipe and the experience of our skilled team. Fishing is an adventure and here at Teddy Fisher we strive to make that adventure
3: a success.
2: Go to www.teddyfisher.co.uk to see our full range.
0: Delving into our imaginary tackle shed, uh, this week's Angling Times, a couple of different uh, options and a couple of reviews. Launched with a bit of fanfare was a couple of products from Guru as we all await their upcoming pole release. Uh, they've gone in with two landing net handles um, covering different genres of, of fishing, really. The four-meter one, uh, which has a one-meter extension, is it's going to be ideal for those deep venues um those banks where you're a little bit higher up a lot more versatility i guess and um, coming in at a reasonable price of 180 pounds um, and i suppose that's comparative with the likes of a, a, a longer daiwa handle or the shimano Aero, etc but yeah that 4 meter extending to 5 be very useful for for natural anglers that is for sure for the more commercial angler they've got a 2.7 meter what's called an f1 handle made for speed fishing i guess uh, landing fish quickly useful for fishing for silvers quickly also but you're going to need to be on that more you know typical commercial venue swims up to five six foot deep um level bank sides etc that comes in at more of, uh, of an affordable £90. So uh, I've seen a lot of fanfare online. People have bought this already and, and given it good reviews. So uh, from Guru, uh, that's in *England Times, the Guru Aventis Landing Handles. What else have we got? We have a nice piece in *England Times as well. It's not something that I think of very often, but six of the best. Uh, this week it's Catapults. Now, everybody has a preference. We all end up with numerous ones that get tangled, (laughs) Um, unless you've got them in a little catty pouch or whatever. But this covers off Guru, Fox, Preston, Drennan, Corum, and Midi. Different catapults for different reasons. And I think probably not enough thought goes into this. You use a catapult so often, especially as we're coming into spring and summer now. Um, do you have it set up correctly? Have you got the right length of elastic to ensure that we're hitting the correct spot, whether it be on the pole line, whether it be on a, a waggler, a pellet waggler maybe a bomb line as well. And the drennan one that they actually cover off here is the Drennan Soft Feed Ground Bait Catapult. Um I've got this and I don't do enough fishing where I'm fishing at distance and, and balling balls of ground bait over the top and the few times i have used that it takes some getting used to 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 get that uh that locking you know to lock it at the right distance for me it takes a little bit of practice but it's a very very good catapult for the job that it's serving and that is getting balls of ground bait to distance um guru one i tend to use on, on the pole line i use the black uh black one with the orange elastic then i have the the black elastic for longer distances as well so have a think about what catapults you're using and, and there's obviously lots and lots out there and it's personal preference but i like the way that they've put this into the magazine this week just to get you thinking about what you're actually using now, another little rev- not a review as such, but it's highlighted in the Tackle Sexual Angling Times is this Preston Superium. It's the X30. We know I've covered this off on previous podcasts. That this Superior range has had a massive launch, and lots of people are swapping out their older poles for these newer versions. And uh, this is the X30. So that's a 16 meter pole coming in just shy of a thousand pounds. And when I talk through the archive shortly, You'll see that what you get for your money nowadays is another world away. So, there's a true 16 meter pole, impressive strength and rigidity, utilizing the new Superium simplified top kit top system. Comes with a dolly butt, a match kit, two F1 kits, two carp kits, a cup kit, and a Superium hold all. And Angling Time says that we've been really impressed with the whole Superium range, X30 being the only current 16 meter pole on the market available for less than £1,000. That's why we have a live test coming very soon. How fishable it is at 16 meters, I've no idea. This falls into the bracket of, say, um, well, I guess under a £1,000. I'm struggling, but it would be in that Daiwa G50, G90 range, the MAP 501, etc. All around that price point, a grand, to £1,300, I suppose. Um, but yeah, I'll go through the archives in a second and just... <laughs> Compare that to what you could get for that money 20 years ago and, well, it's, it's another world, it really is. Speaking of Preston as well, and um, they did quite a big launch yesterday on the bank. They did a live piece on Facebook where they were promoting some of the new items that are going to be coming to the market soon. Uh, first one, a couple of hard cases, which seems to be all the rage and very much in vogue at the moment. And that links quite nicely to the to the poll that we just spoke about there in Angling Times. Um, hard case for the main pole and a number of um, top kits and also a, a smaller version as well for, for just like a top kit case um, there's quite a funky little um, clicker that, like an off box attachment that will go onto uh, the front of one of your legs perhaps I quite like the idea of that because it's unobtrusive you know having to reach down into your side tray or or you know fumbling around to try and find it. And it also looks that, it's, that it clicks quite well. I know that on my clicker that I use, it, it tends to get stuck. You get a bit of dirt in there, a bit of mud, and it doesn't quite um, be as effective as you like. As well as the clicker the hard case is a tackle safe, um, like an EVA carry all as well, which looks to be um, probably made for accessories, etc. And also, two meter keep nets i don't know whether this is controversial or not very small it's not just over six foot and um, i get it for these venues where we've got very tight maybe 50 pound net limits but are we getting to a stage and for saving space absolutely but we're we getting to a stage now where perhaps fish welfare is being compromised a little bit with such a short net i mean you need to get that fully sunk uh extended to the maximum if we start putting sort of Double-figure carp in such a small net, I I don't know whether that works for me. Um, But it's obviously going to be an option. I think Silverfish, F1's fine. Um, Big carp on commercials, £50 net limit and a 2-metre keep net. Not sure whether that's the greatest welfare. But that's just me and a personal preference. But um, I'm sure it will sell well. And I know for a fact uh, the guys at Fishing Evolution have certainly got these products winging their way um, as they're extending their... Preston offerings I think it's going to be more than double over the next um, couple of months as well so yep some interesting options from Preston Innovations let's jump in to the archive uh, to the Angling Plus which I discussed in the news section um, so it's again October 20 sorry October 2002 the Good Gear Guide is the section of tackle in here and I was well flabbergasted I must say at some of the items of tackle that were available 20 years ago for their prices, there's a Maver Reactor light feeder system here. Now, this is a multitude of rods in one. It can be fished at nine, eleven, twelve, thirteen, four, six tips, etc., etc. But it's got an RRP of five hundred pound. Just think of the rods that you can get for that price now. The top of the range Daiwas and and Shimano's even and even in that that price point. That is a, a an incredible. Okay, it's a multitude of rods, but you can only use it once at a time and um, so that is an incredibly uh priced product i have to say okay next up more of a affordable offering from shimano hyperloop medium feeder this was 50 quid 12 foot long two tips um aimed at targeting large or big rivers so there was those more um, reasonably priced products around at the time as well i was just shocked by the that maver system i have to say Tricast Legend pole. So, this is my comparison to what we've just talked, talked about with the new Preston poles. So, this is the Tricast Legend. Power and finesse is how best to describe this new Tricast pole. Well, long story short, it's uh, 14 meters or 15.7 meters, depending on what you choose. Two power top twos, one spare match top three, and a cupping kit and a mini number three extension. You get a tricast hold all as well, and a promotional voucher which entitles you to spare top kits. The fourteen meter pole then was one thousand two hundred eighty five. The fifteen point seven meter one was one thousand five hundred five. And again, just compare that to this Preston pole I've just discussed, and the the value for money now compared to twenty years ago is is phenomenal. It really is. Now, if I jump into one of the larger uh, shops at the time, and I remember this very, very well. It was Chapman's Tackle. Remember years ago, you had Bennett's, and Bennett's used to have all these, Bennett's of Sheffield used to have all these packages that you could buy, by a feeder kit, a match rod kit, a pole kit, and it was quite a clever way that they did things, these bundles. I think Chapman's came after them, but did a similar concept. And if I look, there's a lot of Maver gear in here, there's a lot of map gear. And um, that was the map by Dave Harrell, not the map that we know nowadays. Um, so that at the time, this was called Midland Angling Products map. Now it's called Match Angling Products, which is obviously it's owned by Leader uh, nowadays. Um, but if we have a little look, Preston Pole, 14.5 meter, 5,400. It was a lurk that was coming in uh, on a promotion of 500 pounds. Um, if I look at another 16 meter there's one for under a grand. Mavert Destiny um this has got three power kits one fighting number four so that was nine 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 so in the same ballpark now i guess of the pricing the original was spectrum there you go so it's 20 years old now it's that was an rrp of three and a half thousand pound it was available at chapman sackle for two thousand came with two top four kits two power top twos and a super number five section Uh, What else have they got in here? Let's think about clothing. The Shimano uh, launched a range of clothing back then. A three-quarter deluxe jacket was 50 quid. The bib and brace was 45. So big difference in clothing price. And I think on the last episode, we spoke about seat boxes, which were a lot more cheaper than as well. Um, Preston had been making clothing for a long time as well. The Tech 50, that was a full, allegedly 100% waterproof and windproof breathable suit which consists of a three-quarter length jacket and bim and brakes. That was £130. So nowadays, I think you would be talking more around 200 for a Preston suit. But that's, uh, that's the nature of inflation. Um, but as I say, inflation in some respects, but I think for poles, rods, we certainly get a lot more value nowadays. Finishing off then, um, again, voice is still a wee bit croaky, so... Finish off with a bit tried and tested. I recently bought a new seat box. Um, I don't know why I have a bit of a seat box fetish, I guess. tend to change every couple of years. I had the old Matrix S25. I wanted some slightly larger, sturdy legs. Didn't want the 36 legs because that would have meant I had to buy a whole new range of accessories. So I went for um, the Preston Inception. It was on offer it was black friday so it was november so i've been using the box now for a couple of months and i've uh, been really impressed especially with the storage um especially with its stability as well i like the fact you've got the two drawers the one thing that i don't like though about the box and whether it's me and i'm doing it wrong please let me know if you've got one of these boxes and i'm doing it completely out of whack is the foot plate the idea is there are two little lines that you line up the edge of the, the platform as you pull it out uh the footplate should I say as you pull it out and you line it up with the two little um, arrows on the edge of the frame and the idea is that then two pins click out and lock that footplate in place well can I do it no (laughs) I can get one pin in the other side just doesn't seem to lock in it seems to be a bit of a mismatch am I doing it wrong have I got a dodgy footplate I've no idea but for storage stability I like the handles the weight isn't Ridiculous either. I like the fact that you can pull out the um, cassettes, or my winders from the back as well as the front. um But it's just that foot plate seems to be struggling a little bit. And for what I paid, um, which was around 380 in the Black Friday deal, um I've been really impressed with it. But that foot plate, just not too sure. Let me know. Maybe I'm doing it all wrong. So that's a little look at this week's uh, Angling Times, what they've got advertised there, uh, tackle wise, what they're looking at. Taking a look back. And 20 years ago in Angling Plus, and just a little bit of uh, feedback from myself in terms of that Preston seat box. I must be doing it all wrong. So I appeal to the listeners, please let me know um, a demonstration or something, and uh, um, the, the footplate on the Preston box. So there we go. That is another episode wrapped up. Apologies once again for the croaky voice and the lurgy as I've um, fudged my way through this episode, but um, I'm sure you'll agree the big chat with adam richards was more than worth it uh what a great guy very open I'm sure if you approach him on the bank and ask him any questions he'd be more than willing to so have a chat with you as well so i thank adam for his time and i thank you guys as always for listening and um, if you don't listen there's no point in me doing these so thank you very much and we'll catch up on episode four of two pints of maggots and a packet of hooks the fishing podcast <music>
3: Oh.